And this is Antisocial, the show that's about the bad parts of social media. Actually, we kind of like social media, Tom, but not the parts that make sense. I'm Tony Winton. And to be clear, uh, before we get any further into this show, my name is Tom Mosloom. And I have to say, before I say something stupid, that the views and opinions expressed on this program are those of the hosts and guests and do not represent the views and opinions of the station. Whew, glad I got that out of the way. It was close, Tony. Uh, I could have been down the line saying really stupid things, and then we would have both been in trouble. <laughs> well, fortunately, that didn't happen. Tom is a veteran, former journalist and a, a veteran marketing person who understands messaging and content and all those things. So that's why he remembers to say things like that when we get started. Yeah, getting sued is no fun. Tony is actually a very serious journalist. He's interested in facts and uh, and very little fun, but always gets things right. Um, Tony. Um, something stinks. <laughs> I don't know. What are you talking about, Tom? What are you referring to? I don't know. There's There seems to be in the Miami Key Biscayne area a foul stench in the air. Something, what dare I say. It's, it's like a message. It means Luca Brasi sleeps with the fishes. <laughs> right, so... We're playing that to talk about a really serious environmental issue on our program today, which is uh, the this unusual uh, number of fish kills that are happening in Biscayne Bay. And uh, it's something that um, that we're going to hopefully get a little bit of light on from our guests who are both uh, in the environmental community and have uh, perspectives on um, not just what is driving this uh, this fish kill situation, but perhaps some of the broader issues environmentally that affect Biscayne Bay, you know, a centerpiece, really, of Miami, of our whole community. Yeah, it's dead center of the city, and um, it's tough to get away from the, the not only the beauty of the bay, but when bad things happen and the deterioration of the bay, uh, it's tough to get away from that, too. And, and and as you know, on Key Biscayne, there have been sewage leaks. There's been poop in the water. There's been grass die-offs. There has been a whole host of things over decades and decades of, I don't want to say neglect, but I'll say it because what the heck? I've already disclaimed that the views are mine and mine alone. Um, but rather than having my views, Tony, we should probably bring in some experts, No. We should. And uh, joining joining our program here on Antisocial, we have two guests. Uh, first, Ramya Sundaram, who is the coordinator for the Key Biscayne Citizen Scientist Project on the island, uh, who has been really uh, uh, working with both the, the government in Key Biscayne, the village council, and the uh, go- village administration on a number of important environmental issues uh, about Key Biscayne, its status as a barrier island, and the environment that we are in. And also joining us is Elizabeth Kelly, the Water Quality Research Manager for Miami Waterkeeper, which is a well-known organization here in Miami that is focused on very much the same thing, keeping the quality of the waters that we depend on for so much in good shape. Thank you, both of you, for joining us today. Love both Thanks of you. Thanks for having me. Thank you. So, so, uh, so Ramya, let's oh, go ahead, Tom. I was going to start the same way. Romeo, why don't you give us a top line of what exactly is going on out there and and why people are up in arms and what is that odor? 
Well, basically, um, sometime around Sunday or Monday, um, everyone found that there was a huge die-off of fish in uh, different areas of Biscayne Bay. Um, uh, I know I first found out about it because a notice was sent out by email by um, in a listserv that I'm in just saying, hey, I found all these dead fish in this one area and, you know, sent pictures just to ask if anybody knew what was going on. And as the day went on, um, I found out that this was happening in a much, much larger area than what I was first informed of. And so basically, um, there is just thousands of fish that seem to die very quickly and kind of suddenly. Um, and so there's been a lot of investigation to find out what happened exactly to to make them all die at once. And obviously that's what stinks now because there's lots of dead fish everywhere. Um, and for the most part, like as, as far as the, the final reason, um, mostly the consensus seems to be a uh, lack of oxygen. So the dissolved oxygen in the water was extremely low and they suffocated. Um, but for that to happen, there's a, like several sort of chain of events that also precede that. And Kid. the final result is a, uh, low dissolved oxygen. Is there a way that has any of this been quantified in terms of, of how many fish is it specific to certain areas of the bay, certain types of species more vulnerable or that information is still being gathered? Um, I think that's still being gathered. Um, Elizabeth, actually, you may have more information on that than I do. Um, but yeah, the, the only like reports I've seen so far are preliminary and it was just more focused on the cause rather than what has happened now as an effect. Elizabeth, perhaps you can ju uh, jump in here and tell us what do we know. I know that the FWC is in there with doing some research. What what do we know about the scope of what has happened, and is it still happening? Um, so far, we think it could still be happening. I was actually out on the water yesterday. Um, what we normally do is we have our samples for enterococci. We sample every Monday. If the uh, if, if it should fail, if it should uh, pass the the threshold, uh, more than seventy colony forming units or the most probable number, then we go and resample again. So we had like a minor exceedance at 97. So we're like, okay, we'll go do this again. And when we went to resample again, that, that failed. It was like 200 on one of them and then 400 on the other. So the bacteria level at least seems to be increasing with what we had seen. Um, after that, we did go out in the water as well and uh, me measured some of the DO and the salinity and the, the temperatures um, in the one spot where we went up near Pelican Harbor, we had very, very, very low DOs. Um, that's the dissolved oxygen, of course. And this is the same area where they had found there's a, a buoy for, I believe it's an FIU crest buoy. And they found that from a time period from about 10 p.m. to 5 a.m., they were recording zero dissolved oxygen in the water for five hours. Absolutely no oxygen to those fish. So Holy smokes. Yeah. So that's uh, that's actually my neighborhood. I live up in Bell Mead, uh, and uh, we started getting calls from our neighbors saying, "It stinks! What's going yeah. on?" Yeah. No, uh, I when I hear when I hear low oxygen, I think uh, you know hypoxia. I think algae blooms, the kind of things that they have, you know, up in the northern counties or Lake Okeechobee. Is is this similar? It's similar, but it's its own Biscayne Bay system issue and that's what kind of, of course it's indigenous to miami why not <laughs> this is true of every environment something you need to do when you're trying to figure something out is you need to understand the the sediment the sand the geology 
uh, temperatures, the water composition itself. So while I've also studied Lake Okeechobee, that's such an entirely different ecosystem that while, you know, you do some of the same things, you take um, a lot of the uh, same measurements, you also don't, you can't come to the same conclusions. You say the sand is different, the soil is different, things like that. Ramya, uh, you have been telling the public here in Key Biscayne about environmental issues. The Citizen Scientist Project has had a number of, I guess, community meetings and lectures talking about all of this, and it's been something you've been following. Uh, the overall issue of, of water quality is not new. It's been really, there was a blockbuster report, I want to say over a year ago, that cataloged a tremendous die-off in terms of seagrasses in the bay, part of the ecosystem. What's going on with the water quality in Biscayne Bay? Um, so as far as that report goes, there were a number of different uh, things that they pointed to. Um, there was, uh, in particular, the, the largest um, the largest reason that, that uh, the FWC, I think it was the, oh no, sorry, it was a county report. Um, but the, the largest reason that they, they talked about was the uh, change in water flow. And so that's one of the biggest problems that South Florida in particular has been dealing with for a long time now. There used to be like the natural system was uh, the water would come down into Lake Okeechobee. I'm very much simplifying it. Um, It would come down into Lake Okeechobee, which would periodically overflow and send uh, water down into all these different areas of South Florida. And a lot of that would be, um, you know, groundwater. So just just, you know, beneath the surface. Um, and, you know, that would go into the Everglades and flow that way. Um, on this side, the east side of Florida, it would come out and um, into Biscayne Bay, making Biscayne Bay more of an estuary. So not quite salt water, not quite fresh water. And so the ecosystem that evolved there was mostly dependent on that kind of environment. Um as that changed, much, much less water has been coming out. Fresh water has been coming out as groundwater or what they call sheet flow because it, it kind of flows underneath the, the ground. Um, so that has relaxed the freshwater pressure, um, the outward pressure in the bay, and has allowed a lot more salt water to come in. And so that's changed the environment. That's not solely responsible for, um, you know, the death of seagrasses that may have affected them. There are some, however, that are very hardy and can live in saltwater. Uh, but the other issue that we're, we're dealing with is the influx of nutrients. And there are a lot of possibilities for what's causing this. But part of it um, is possibly from Lake Okeechobee itself, where they have these um, outflows that they will release water from Lake Okeechobee through channels on either the west or the east side. And there's a lot of nutrients that come from that because there's a lot that get dumped into the lake. Um, By nutrients, you mean what? So predominantly phosphorus and nitrogen. And those are essentially like fertilizers. Um, So what they do is they get into the water. And that's also another problem is is people using too much water or sorry, too much fertilizer and that getting washed into... um, our different water systems also like through rain or sprinklers or, you know, what have you. Um, those nutrients, once they get into the water, they can cause algal blooms. Um, and it's just kind of wreak havoc on the system and right. eventually result in die offs of seagrass, um, and you know, other things. And all of this is sort of like a chain of events. It's, it's much more complicated than what I'm describing. Um, but that can result in, you know, very low oxygen, 
um, algal blooms that like kind of choke out the sun. So, you know, other photosynthetic plants like seagrass can't uh, can't live, you know, things well, like the that. Po- the reason I asked, so this is that that's a very like a very clear, like simple description of basically the problems that are being observed, which is increasing salt water, decreased oxygen, and increasing nutrients. Basically, if you add all this together and what the mechanisms are, right, are all kind of not completely agreed. But is is it is it is it like a cocktail that's resulting now we're seeing these fish die offs, or is it too early to really know? Either of you, please jump in. It, it does. It sounds like a toxic stew where with all of these competing things, you know, any one of them, if it got too extreme, could wind up killing fish. Now you have an interaction of these three things happening. And uh, that's just pushed beyond the limits of what these uh, fish can handle. Yeah, I mean, that's that's sort of my understanding of it. Um, again, I've only read preliminary reports and most of them right now are just talking about the low oxygen level. Um and and I know I've I've read some of the things that um, Miami Waterkeeper has talked about, and they have focused a lot on some of the nutrients that have been coming into the bay. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's definitely it's not. I would say my own opinion is that it's not any one thing. Right. Um, definitely, some of them are worse than others, and some of them cause others. You know, so it's it's a combination. I think. So what are we doing about it? I mean, obviously, this took a long time to get to this cocktail that is killing off fish. Is there things that we're doing right now to rectify the situation that will work, that will lead us into long-term solutions? What are we doing today? Well, something we've been doing, we've actually been working with uh, Key Biscayne and other municipalities to have fertilizer ordinances. And a lot of these fertilizer ordinances ask that, you know, they say during certain times of the year, do not use fertilizer in your yard. And you know, it talks about if we're going to have a, a system, a rain system come through, uh, hurricanes, and like, don't fertilize then either. So there's a whole bunch of guidelines. And the city of Miami is one place that has recently taken on a fertilizer ordinance. It did pass. And Key Biscayne is also doing that as well. So you know, we're hoping in a few other places that you know it'll suddenly, perhaps so in the county, perhaps other areas will adopt this as well. And then this is something we individually can do. We may not be able to control other aspects of things, you know, sea level rise, temperature changes. This may not be something an individual can do, but you can certainly control the use of fertilizer in your yard. Yeah, I know that's something that both Miami Waterkeeper and um, the Citizen Science Program have been advocating um, just among the the public, you know, our citizen science lectures focus on different um, environmental problems and what you as an individual can try to do to help. And in terms of the uh, the animals, I mean, I, we, there are these images of stingrays not being able to have enough air. You know, I mean, what can be done in an and is there any kind of rescue that's possible? Right now, um, there is. Oh, go ahead, Elizabeth. There's actually people out there, um, and it's various various groups, uh, maybe some FIU groups and um, a lot of other agencies are out there trying to deliver. There's air curtains, there's rings, there's systems to pump air into the water right there where the fish are to try to- Wait, 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 wait. So, so the bay is on a ventilator? How apropos. It kind of is, yes, yes. Out by yeah. Pelican Harbor, they're, they're putting- air into the water for the fish. And th- there are readings, uh, people taking readings. There, the buoys are recording that at least it's no longer zero. Um, it has, the dissolved oxygen has gone up. So it may be working, we hope. But you know, who knows how long this is going to last and how long we're going to have to do these emergency measures. But that is- yeah. and 
Go ahead. Sorry. Oh, no, no, go ahead. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I was actually going to specifically mention Pelican Harbor. Um, they've been posting regular Facebook updates. And yeah, like you said, they've literally just been pumping air into the water, like dropping in aerators and pumping air. Um, and their their measurements were showing extremely low dissolved oxygen. And they've posted several pictures specifically of like the hundreds and hundreds of rays that have just kind of settled on the, the seafloor right in their little corner of the bay. And and it's because they're they're so low on oxygen, they just don't have like the ability, the energy to move, not to mention hundreds of fish also. Um, so yeah, they were just pumping air into the water. And then they said that they also got help from the Frost Science Museum that brought canisters of pure oxygen and helped pump that into the water. Wow. It's just astonishing. I mean, it's it reminds wow. me of a giant, a giant a home aquarium with the bubbler, and we're trying to do this on a massive scale. Is there Wow, I'm just I'm just thinking about that. What, what is? It's yeah, it amazing. is. Well, but I mean, we're in that we're in this dire strait here. I mean, the, the for, for the animals, the question is, what is the? Uh, is there any relief in sight? Do we have to wait for the temperatures to drop a little bit? And and is that would that be enough of a of a change uh, where the the water would hold more oxygen? It would help, but it may not be enough for um, a significant change because definitely warm water holds less oxygen and cooler water can hold more. So that is a problem. July was our hottest month on record for sea surface temperatures in our area. Um, So, I mean, if the temperature were to drop somewhat, that would be helpful, but it doesn't, you know, fix the problem with nutrients and algae blooms and, and all these other things that are still happening. Well, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's a, Frightening, uh, and uh, without uh, long-term action, the, the what the recipe that you're describing or the situation you're describing is not a not a good one, and uh, we'll probably be revisiting or be forced to revisit this topic later on. Yeah, we'll have to it have also, you guys back to talk about long-term solutions as opposed to the "oh my god, it's happening right now" moment. Right. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, both of you, for joining us. Uh, we've been having a discussion about the the fish kills that are happening in Biscayne Bay that is absolutely critical to the economy of this of this entire region. You know, our water is our brand. I'm talking to you, Tom Moslin. Oh, yeah. You take away the no clean doubt. water. You take away the beaches, whether it's this or anything else, you're, you're – playing with fire in terms of the, yeah. the long-term economic health of our community. And I want to, again, Not thank both of our guests. tourism, but quality of life, man. Mm-hmm. All right, guys. Thank you. Ramya Sundaram from the uh, Key Biscayne Citizen Scientist Program and Elizabeth Kelly from Miami Waterkeeper. Thanks, both of you, for joining us. Thanks for having me. Thank you. typical person, Tony. You said that you'd be home tonight somewhere around 10. Well, here it is. It's 2 o'clock and you're still not at home. I think there's something fishy going on. And you are listening to Antisocial, the program that talks about important issues that you see on social media with hopefully a little bit of logic and reason just once in a while. I'm Tony. Well, Winton. From, the logic and reason comes from Tony. I'm Tom Moslum. I'm just here because Tony asked me to be on the air with him. Tony, something still smells fishy to me. Yes. And it's a completely different kind of, uh, 
thing to raise alarms about. It's not coming from the bay. It's coming from my mailbox. What is that stink? That's well, surrounding. It's like vultures surrounding the USPS. This is what's blowing up my social media feed, Tony. Absolutely. It's probably the biggest thing happening or one of the biggest things happening on social media right now is all of the back and forth about the state of uh, the U.S. mail, particularly when it comes to the upcoming election. We have an election going on right now in, in, in Miami, a primary election going on for some really important races like mayor of Miami-Dade County, just a couple of minor play, uh, uh, yeah. things like that, the state attorney. Um, and and we're in the middle of a hot zone here in uh, the South Florida area uh, in terms of COVID-19 and the number of cases. So really a very timely topic and the security of mail balloting, the availability of being able to vote by mail, and what's going to happen with the general election and reports of all kinds of changes uh, to everything from uh, mail processing equipment, sorters, to mailboxes themselves, um, and, and reports that there's uh, funding issues. To join us uh, in talking, we have a guest, Wanda Harris, is the general president of the American Postal Workers Union local 172 in Miami. And Wanda, thank you for joining us. Good afternoon. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you so much. Wanda, let me see if I have the story right. Maybe you could correct me. Here's what my social media feeds are blowing up on. Uh, The United States Postal Service is essentially being starved for funds. It's being starved for funds solely for political reasons. Uh, People said that, uh, that, they were told that the states won't be able to meet mail-in ballot deadlines. I think Pennsylvania already sued and is going to the Supreme Court. Uh, and the running line is that this is just one more plan in place to help Donald Trump steal the election. Do I have it right? Well, it's that's what's out there in the news. He has shown us blatantly that it's whatever it takes to delay the mail, to undermine the Postal Service, it's all about him with the election. And to say that we're not going to be able to to deal with this, the elections, the state elections, the primary or the national, we have dedicated postal workers that has been coming in every day like they've done before this pandemic through this dangerous, critical time of this pandemic to make sure we still get every piece out every day. But we have a new PMG in charge now who was appointed by Donald Trump. And the instructions is, to curtail operations, delay the mail, and now we're having over 637 nationwide DBCS uh, um, mail processing machines taken out. Any in South Florida? Yes, we have already had in South Florida, under the local that I serve, we have already had four taken out of our main plant in the Miami area, and we have one more scheduled to be taken out. And what impact does that have on your ability to deliver the mail or, or or get packages from here to there? Well, the delivery of the mail, the mail going to still get processed. We're going to still do our job and do whatever it takes. The process of the mail, and once it gets to the carriers to deliver, is the instructions given from the Postmaster General of how he wants the delivery to stop or delay the mail. So we're still delivering every piece every day, but with the delays coming from the Postmaster General, it's above my pay grade level at a national level, but our carries are still doing their thing in this dangerous pandemic, no matter what, because we believe in our public, because the public needs and have to have the United States Postal Service. I was going to suggest, 
Go ahead, Tony. Yeah. Now, what what else? So the machines are being removed. Have you have there been any reports? These are the processing machines, and we'll talk about that in a second. But had there been any reports of other changes from your members? Uh, uh, we've seen uh, reports from other states where those blue iconic mailboxes that you see on street corners, they have been removed as well. Has that happened in South Florida, to your knowledge? No, sir. It haven't reached us as of yet. That happened in two states. I believe it was New York and Oregon. But that has that has been stopped due to where my sister in, in Iowa, she's the president of the Iowa Postal Union, and it has stopped because it takes a village to raise, and it sure takes all of us to stand. Because the postal service is the people postal service. It doesn't just belong to the government enshrined in the Constitution. It's everyone's service. It's not a business. It's a service. And yes, sir, they have removed those those mailboxes, but they have delayed the stop. They said until after the election. Are they going to put them back? I'm not sure of that. But we haven't had any taken here in South Florida. You mentioned earlier, you know, you've been dealing and I and just I want to just convey my uh, my appreciation and I'm sure many of the listeners would agree where we are with COVID-19 and the the dependence and the need and the gratitude that people have for things being delivered, you know, Heroes. people have to stay home and everything else it's risks that people are really taking to make sure that essential not just mail but deliveries of packages and you know people forget that the postal service is also the backbone for a lot of the commercial shippers but you know they use the the network of the postal service to get these packages delivered and it's been absolutely critical so before i go any further just wanted to commend the workers uh, the men and women who who are doing that all the time what are they telling you in terms of dealing with that, in terms of your workforce and just being able to stay on the job and, and all that other stuff? Because I imagine it's it's had a an impact just in keeping staffing levels going. You're, you're absolutely right. We have had quite a few of our postal workers um, get touched by this disease. Um, and our, in the district that I serve, like I told Tom earlier, I serve from Homestead, Boca Raton, Hialeah. Miami Beach and the entire city of Miami. Within our district, we have lost three carriers. Overall, we have had we have had um, approximately close to four hundred employees tested positive. So, with that said, you know that quarantine is fourteen days. So, as many con- as many employees test positive, yes, we lose employees. So in the meantime, we had to hire temporary help because we still have to get the mail out to the people every piece every day. So with that said, the $25 billion um, in the stimulus that was once in the first stimulus package that was removed because that's what Donald Trump wanted. We, we are still asking everyone to join in this fight to help us get that $25 billion because we're not asking for that simply because he said ballots. It has nothing to do with it. It has everything to do with the COVID situation that nobody expected. With all the businesses closing, a lot of mailers that we lost, that's not going to come back because they lost their businesses. Yes, the mail has depleted, but their packages has exploded. And in those packages, those are care packages that we have to get to veterans. You have love letters that has to get to, 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 to each other's family. We bind this nation together, you know, and delaying packages and medicines and, and people's checks and people's bills. And it's really so sad. This is not the American way. And it's so sad that you have to undermine the postal service at a time like this that's needed more than ever. 
that's needed more than ever across this country. And this all is right. what you know, all because so, of political reasons. All right. So I, I'm a guy who believes in extending the maximum amount of grace humanly possible in every single circumstance. So the question is, could there be another reason other than politics for this? Is there a possibility that this is not the actions of ne'er-do-wells sabotaging the postal system for political gain, but there might be some other reason or maybe it's finding efficiencies? Is that at all possible? Absolutely not, Tom. You know for yourself and all the American people, the people are woke. Everybody everybody is woke. I mean, we just had the biggest protests. And believe it or not, with the one of the postal services stations being burnt down in Minneapolis, the, the customers gave us big props because they got their mail delivered the next day. We just went to sleep and woke up the next day and everybody is like going crazy. Like, where's my mail? Because we had a PMG that was just installed June 15th, just a couple of months ago. And he constantly keeps saying he's not doing nothing directed from the president. Well, what are you doing? You haven't got acclimated with no postal unions. You haven't got acclimated with no customers. You haven't got acclimated with the, co- the, the communities to see exactly what you want to do or get some kind of plan in order. But to come in and just slice and dice and tell us that you're going to cut out the overtime. Tell us that you got to delay the mail. Tell us not to deliver this day, but to deliver that day. I mean, it's it's, it's really, really sad. And it hurts it hurts us as postal workers because we know what we're used to doing and to see and that we have to leave this behind and hurt our public people, our, our customers who we love and, 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 t- and do whatever it takes to satisfy them. This is where we at. Do you think that there will be an impact on the November election based on just in just, you know, cause your, your wheelhouse is your members in South Florida. You're the president of the Miami local in terms of the equipment, the staffing levels that you have. What is your prediction? We know that the general counsel of the postal service wrote to the state of Florida just on July 29th saying that there's some risk about um, that the, the quote is there's a significant risk that at least in certain circumstances, ballots may be requested in a manner that is consistent with your election rules and return promptly yet not be returned in time to be counted because the rule, I guess, in Florida is that the ballots have to be arrive at the at the elections department on Election Day. Are you is there concern Do you have concerns, Wanda, about that, the efficiency being different than it has been in elections past? Absolutely. Absolutely, Tony. I'm very concerned. And as the president, who my people know, I love and care for deeply. And I love my organization because the postal service has been good to so many of us and our families. And we're the only organization that hires uh, over 140,000 veterans. So. Yes, I'm very concerned. There's a possibility because of the actions that's been taken by the Postmaster General, we may have some delay. But before, as I can remember, I don't know if you guys remember, as long as your ballot is postmarked, that date, it still can be counted. But now it's getting to the top level where they don't want no ballots counted after November 3rd because of what they're doing, undermining our wonderful organization. So, yes, sir, I'm very, very concerned. But let me tell you about us postal workers. We we grind and we get it done. So whatever it's going to take, because we know Florida is the is the state that you must win in order to get to the presidency. So all eyes are going to be on us. 
just like it was on us in the in the primary. No pressure. No pressure. <laughs> like it always you. is. Like yes, it always, always is. is. Absolutely. We're, we're you guys always, know exactly always, what I'm talking about. So we're, we're going to get the, it done. We're going to do the best yeah. we can. We're, we're, let's just hope we don't have a hurricane at the same time. But, you know, why would 2020 be any different the way it's been going, right? <laughs> yes, yes, yes. And you know what? Even the hurricanes, the Postal Service have always come through for the public in hurricanes, anthrax, whatever it may be, because that's how we're trained and that's what we do. We have a very good job and we believe in this United States Postal Service. I mean, we're not a business, we're a service. And the people need us. The people of all all sorts of life needs us. The veterans can't get their care packages. Those are our men and women that fights for our freedom. Are you kidding me? Come on, Tom. You know what I'm talking about. You're a veteran. You know what I hear? I mean, thank you, you for your I service. Hear? It hurts so bad, you know, because I'm just that passionate president and I'm just that, 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 that postal worker that loves her job. And it's just so sad to see what they're doing to undermine this wonderful organization that is so very necessary for the entire country. You know well, what I hear from uh, Wanda, Tony? You know what I hear from Wanda, Tony? I hear these words. Neither snow, nor rain, nor heat, nor gloom of night stays these couriers from the swift completion of their appointed rounds. And My on man, that note... You couldn't have said it better. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note, we're go- we're going to we're going to we're going to thank Wanda for coming onto the program and telling us about uh, the determination and some of the challenges that are going to be facing the postal service in this strange pandemic year, presidential election coming up. Uh, I guess the the advice always is is to don't wait to the last minute, don't procrastinate. Do you help Wanda and the other folks? If you're going to vote, do it early and uh, and and vote. So thank you very much, Wanda Harris, general president of the American Postal Workers Union. And before I go, Tony and Tom, can I please thank my national president, Mark Dienstein, for connecting us together to get this out. You guys like the facts, and here is the facts. And we just need the public to stand with the postal service because we cannot, under no circumstances, allow this to happen. We need our postal Thank you. service. Thank you. Thank you, Wanda. All right. Yeah, stay safe. Thank, Thank you so much. You. Bye-bye. You too. Bye-bye. And we're back. You're listening to Antisocial on WSQF LP, Key Biscayne. I'm Tony Winton. And I'm Tom Mosloom. You're going to have to give me a minute, Tony. i got to put the flames well, out there. We'll cut it again. I'm Tony Winton. <laughs> and I'm Tom Mosloom. And you're going to have to give me a minute, Tony, because I'm still trying to put the flames out that Wanda started. Wow, she's fiery. Love her as a guest. Uh, well, it's a, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I, I sometimes it's, there have been so many crazy things that have happened just in 2020 alone. You know, the it beginning with how did the year start? Weren't we like in an impeachment? There was an impeachment of the president of the United States. And then we've had the pandemic and one uh, then then uh, the, the the protest, George Floyd. Uh, it's just been one unending rolling yeah. train wreck of murder year. Be- what happened to the murder what? bees? Weren't they supposed to be here by now? Oh, the murder I, hornets. I, yes. <laughs> right? I, I, so I don't I, know. I want to circle. I want to circle back though on on and I love one to death. I, I but I was trying to get to the point that you know I, I think that the USPS is 
a, a government agency that right now is being used to play politics. But I don't think it's the first time that a government agency has been used to play politics. I mean, I, I think I think that the Trump administration is playing. Let's make a deal with the Democrats on this is is, is where I think it's going. You have a different take. My my take is that every well, politics is a big word. Uh, I would say that are they trying to manipulate uh, the U.S. Postal Service to change the outcome of various races? Yes, that appears to be the, a, a statement. And I'm not I'm only relying on what the president himself has said. The president himself yeah. has said that he has said that he thinks that the um, mail balloting is insecure, would benefit Democrats and hurt Republicans. I think that that's there's the data doesn't necessarily support that, but that's what he has said. And he has stated this as an objective. So you can argue about things that have happened with other agencies and, uh, you know, politicians often will do things in election years or an election season, kissing babies, cutting ribbons, doing all kinds of cool things to show the voters why they should vote for them. And do people use those levers of power and persuasion all the time? Of course they do. Uh, have there been overt direct changes <laughs> to the postal system itself? I think we're new ground here. Well, I, the question is whether or not it's directly has to do with changing the election. I think Donald Trump would like to sow discord. I think he'd like to cast whatever, uh, cast the, the, the election into doubt, the results of the election into doubt. But there's this thing buried in all the communications from the postmaster general to the states that uh, that caught my eye because of the business I'm in. It says that we implore the states to create schedules for mailed ballots that comport to its delivery timeframes. States typically send out blank ballots using the nonprofit mail designation, which is significantly cheaper than first class, but typically takes longer to deliver. Back in May, before DeJoy took office, the USPS said we advise states to send out their ballots via first class to ensure they're delivered and returned on time. What does that say to me? That sounds like a money grab to me. That sounds like them saying, hey, listen, there's going to be a lot more mail coming. And, you know, you've enjoyed this service at the cut rate marketing discount, but we want you to pay the top rate now. That's what I between politics and, my and money, is, follow yes. the money. Well, of course. But why is this happening in August when the election is in November? Uh, you know, I, I, I that the, the, the timing of debating whether or not the state should be paying more money for you know, faster service. Uh, that's a perfectly uh, interesting question, but the timing is somewhat odd. Well, I think it's I think it's not odd. I mean, I think if you're looking at an election cycle, which is going to see higher volumes of mail in ballots than ever before, the Postal Service is saying we can't deliver that for the same price we used to. I think it's a mob move. I think they're trying to gouge the states and I think they're going to be successful at it. What what choice are the states going to have? And when like Pennsylvania takes this to the Supreme Court on an expedited schedule, what do you think the Supreme Court's going to say? Yeah, you have to get them there on time, but yeah, you have to pay the higher rate. Yeah, it's um going to be a season of litigation, not just on May. <laughs> season. I, it's going to be a the decade. Supreme the Court. Yes, the Supreme the wake I, I, of the Trump administration is going to be one long lawsuit. It's just going to be continuous. And election night itself, 
you know, America is kind of used to staying up late and figuring out who won the election. Don't know that that's going to happen this time. I think that there's going to be lots of states where uh, the various news agencies will be saying can't make a call too close to know. Um, they'll have exit polls, but but will they rely on them? I think there's a there's a good chance that, you know, we'll wake up the following morning and the answer will be we don't know. And of course, we've been there before and it it's not a good feeling. The worst part about it, Tony, is that America as a whole will spend election night pounding its plowshares into swords, waiting to find out which half goes to war the next day. Because th- there's no good ending to this. We're so divided that people are going to lose their mud no matter what. And both parties are going out of their way to sow discord and sow the idea that, uh, you know, the election results are going to somehow be tinkered with, toyed with, and invalidated. And that's going to leave whoever lost really, really angry. I don't know what we can do to prepare, though. What what is there? To, what is I, mean, I have a farm at, in Tennessee. I'm leaving. I'm going to the compound. What do you mean? You're already you're already there. <laughs> what are you crazy? Isolation. That's what I'm. That's my plan. <laughs> it's not just the fish who are who are can't get enough air. Apparently. Yes, I'm sorry. <laughs> um. Listeners, uh, we'll be following. Obviously, we have a lot to talk about uh, as we get closer to Election Day. Uh, Next week's next show, we'll be following on the Key Biscayne elections. We're going to have candidates for Village Council who will have filed by then. So on next week's program, we'll be talking a bit about that. But certainly the election uh, will be a continuing topic for us here on Antisocial. I'm Tony Winton. Thank you for joining us. I'm Tom Moslem. Be safe, everybody. And we go down the trails to the north point of the Paracut Bridge. As the sand flies, itch in your head as you return back home. And then the next day, you say, you wanna go for a ride. Yeah.